You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. I'm Craig Nienaber. I'm one of the elders here. And I will be, uh, we'll, be, we'll all be continuing on in the sermon series through Hebrews. And the passage that we're going to be studying today is Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 13. Please follow along in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, um, please take one from the seat back in front of you. You'll find this passage on page 942. Uh, and if you need a Bible, please, please take one of these with you. Uh, you're welcome to, and we would feel really blessed if you took one of these. So, hear the living word of the Lord. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith, by faith um, with those who listened. For he, I'm sorry, for we who have believed enter the, that rest as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good words failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he must give account. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time that you've given to us to gather in worship, in praising you through song, through prayer, and now through hearing your word. We thank you for the time and the skill that Jeremy has devoted to studying this passage and bringing to it clarity and explanation and power. So please use it to help us to listen to this and be pierced as we would by a two-edged sword. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Craig. 
when you look back on graduation, any of you in here know of somebody who showed up at your graduation, got their name called, walked across the stage, all the handshakes, went to the parties afterwards, made all the pictures, but never got the diploma. Nope, I'm the only one. Okay, okay, that's, that's cool. I went to a small school. Maybe you went to one of those things where you had 500 in your class, and so there's just no chance for you to know all the ins and outs. I went to a small school in the middle of Kansas that had like 27 of us graduated together. Um, but as it turns out, I think only 26 got the diploma. <laughs> At least that's the way I understood because um, there was a gentleman who, he was there with us the whole week and he wore the cap and gown and all of this stuff happened. And, and then it was like a couple months later and he um, you know, it was in the middle of the summer and some of us were around and he's like, um, did you guys get your diploma in the mail? And we were like, yeah, well, quite a while ago. And he said, uh, oh, I'm like, well, did you not get one? He goes, huh? And I always felt sad for that guy. I, I, I don't know if he ever got it. I, did, I, I felt kind of, a, I felt awkward asking anymore about you know, did you flunk a couple tests or, or what, the, what the deal was there at the end? Somehow, somewhere, at least at that moment of time, unless there was some administrative problem, the school district, he, he had not finished or completed what was necessary to get that diploma. And I, I actually had, I've wondered, did he know the whole time that he wasn't going to get it? Did they tell him? Um, or maybe his parents knew, and, and, and his parents were like, oh, do we, do we just let him do all the stuff, and then we tell him later? Um, I mean, what would you want? If, 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 if it was the week of graduation for you, your senior year, and you were getting ready to, to celebrate, but for some reason it wasn't going to happen, would you want to know uh, before it all happens? Um, or would you just go, man, just let me have my week. I'll, I'll celebrate the week and then drop that bad news later on. I don't know. Don't know what happened for him, but that was the case. And, and, and this morning in Hebrews 4, we come to a passage that sort of resembles this graduation conundrum. I mean, of course, in our text, we don't have a commencement ad address or anything like that. But, but what we do find is that in this passage, our author's explaining it is possible for someone to attend a church. To be counted as one of the church. Perhaps be a card-carrying member in that church while not truly being part of God's family eternally. I think it'd be sad to be at a graduation ceremony but find out later you're never actually going to graduate, but the ramifications for the Hebrew church that we peek in on here in Hebrews 4 are so much greater, aren't they? Because what we're talking about here when it comes to being part or even a member but not actually in the church have eternal consequences. It's not just not getting a diploma, it's where is your eternity going to be 
spent. This morning then, the author of Hebrews, who we have been calling the preacher in this sermon series, is now in chapter 4 of this letter to the Hebrews, which we're calling a sermon. He calls it a brief word of exhortation in chapter 13. I've been calling it a sermon, which may leave some of you to go, wait, you're preaching a sermon on a sermon? And the answer to that is yes. (laughs) Uh, But we don't just do one sermon on a sermon. We're actually doing a bunch of sermons on his one brief word of exhortation, which his is about 45 minutes. And so you're welcome that this one will not be quite 45 minutes. Here, though, in chapter 4, we come to a warning and a promise. This chapter is a warning and a promise to all who are here. The warning is that you can be around the church, but not actually in the church. The promise is that God's word will reveal whether you're really in or not. The warning, proximity to the gospel doesn't actually promise belief in the gospel. The promise You can know today whether you're really in or not. But you've got to be willing to listen to God's word. Now I may be getting ahead of myself. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 13. I really would love God's word in front of you, whether you use one of our chairback Bibles or our little note page or... If you want to have the warm glow of a screen on your face as you follow along, take your pick. I'd like us to be in the text. You'll see that we have two big ideas in this passage, and that's why we have two points in the sermon. We're trying to follow our preacher in the sermon he's written. We're at chapter 4. Look with me at his first big idea. Here it is. Beware, Christian. Beware, Christian. Please pick up with me there at chapter 4, verse 1, where our author is transitioning from chapter 3 by saying, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Okay, to understand this therefore transition sentence, it's important for us to real quick remember where we're at in his sermon, in his argument. Last week we took a time machine back to Rome in between 30 and 60 AD and talked about this place called Little Israel that might uh, resemble some big cities today in their uh, little, uh, little China or Chinatown or some different like ethnic enclave in a city. Israel had one, we understand, and they were practicing Jews and they got message of the Messiah and there were some from that small ethnic enclave who decided to become Christians so they planted a church and they were excited but 30 years in they were experiencing such suffering and persecution that they found themselves in a place where they're tired and they're getting the business from both Rome who had no protections for them religiously but also their friends who were still practicing Jews and so when Thanksgiving came around or their cultural equivalent they never got to go back to their family they had to be with themselves And there was this temptation then for them to begin walking away from Christianity and and some of them wondering, maybe Judaism and Christianity are both 
different paths up the same mountain to God. Maybe God's actually okay with us compromising on Jesus Christ and returning to a Christ-less religious system. And our preacher in this sermon is saying, no, you can't leave Christ. Christ is the substance that everything in Judaism points to. And if you're going to truly follow the Old Testament Judaism, you've got to understand that Jesus is everything. He is superior. And that's what this sermon is. Just walking point by point, showing how everything in Old Testament Judaism ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he understands, the pastor understands these challenges. And and in his sermon, if we took this entire letter, you'd find he has two big ideas. And so far, we've been studying big idea number one, which is Jesus is superior to the Old Testament revelation. That's everything that he's doing here. So this entire point is under his first header from chapter one all the way to chapter four. He's saying Jesus is superior, which explains why he took so much time to talk about angels. So if you missed that week, Jews understood that angels brought the message from God to Moses. So they were messengers working for God. And so he's like, hey, Jesus is superior to them. And then that explains why he then spent time talking about Jesus' superiority to Moses. That's where we saw last week. Jesus is superior to Joshua. And Jesus actually offers us rest. And in this sermon then, if you were here last week, you know that we were in Psalm 95 because that's what our preacher's doing. Notice that longtime Mill Krieger. Our preacher is going to Psalm 95 and he's giving an expository point on Psalm 95. Just in case people wonder why we preach the way we do, we're just trying to do what the Bible does, okay? Expository preaching doesn't work anymore, Pastor. Okay, I'm just going to go with the Bible on this one and then we'll sort it out up there, okay? And if the Lord wonders, how's come you kept doing that expository preaching, we'll just go, because uh, that's what you did. We're just trying to do your thing, my man. Psalm 95 is quoted in chapter 3. Psalm 95 is continued to be referenced in our text today. And I, I know it's Sunday morning and perhaps you forgot to brush up on your breakfast as Psalm 95 and all that it means. Psalm 95 is telling a story. It's King David telling the story that when the Israelites were led out of Egypt, they traveled through the wilderness, they got the Ten Commandments, but they never made it to the promised land. And our preacher then saying, it is possible to be part of God's people, have proximity with God's people, but not actually receive the blessing that God has for his people. And that's where we've been, which is why then, there in chapter 4, verse 1, is this great invitation. Therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, I'm of the opinion that as soon as they hear this part of the sermon, many in the congregation of that small little house church in Rome would have gone, what? I can can actually enter the rest? Whoa, 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 whoa. Put it in reverse, Terry. How in the world am I going to enter the rest when when, when I'm actually over here in Rome? And what you've got to get is, For that first century church, they think rest is entirely tied to the promised land geographically. The only way to enter the rest is you've got to have a king come in, sit on a throne. He's got to be a geopolitical leader, and that's when you finally get the rest. 
Okay, and someday we are going to have that rest, but what our author's talking about is a spiritual rest that is available right now in Jesus that you can have even though you're hanging out in Rome and you're not in Jerusalem. And that would have been the surprise, that the rest is not completely tied to the land. You can have this rest if you believe the good news of Jesus Christ and stick with Christ. But there is no rest if you leave the church for Christless Judaism. All right, you tracking with me? I know that was thick. That's what's going on in this part of the argument. If you believe the good news of Jesus, you could enter the rest. To put it negatively, don't be like that wilderness generation around God's people, but never actually truly in God's people. And here's why they weren't. Look at verse 2. The wilderness generation was not united by faith. They were not united by faith, which is why Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. For those who truly believe God will enter the rest. Those who are unbelievers or not united by faith won't enter the rest. Okay, so if you're tracking with me, you might be thinking rest, rest. Well, where's, where's this idea of rest coming from? And, and, and what the original audience who grew up with the Old Testament, they, they knew it better probably than most of us in here, preacher included. What they would have known is the moment that rest gets mentioned, and do you see that in this text, no less than eight times this idea of rest is mentioned, that takes us all the way back to Genesis 2.2. Or do you remember in Genesis 2-2 where God first introduces the, the idea of rest is this, is this rest after he's created the world? God rests. It's the seventh day. And, and so our author's idea of rest is not merely taking a nap or vegging out while you watch a Netflix series after a tough week. The, the rest that God's instituting back in Genesis 2-2 is a ceasing from the frenetic hamster wheel and crushing expectations of more productivity that can become to define our lives. What our author is saying, you don't have to go, 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 go and, and, and burn the candle at both ends. You don't have to live like all of the world or all of your company is depending only on you. And if you don't come through, catastrophic failure will, will occur. You can actually rest in God. The wilderness generation had been given this invitation to be God's people in God's place and receive his blessing. And they didn't enter it. The question then for the original audience there in Rome, these, this Hebrew church would have been, but, but how do we enter the rest if Jesus is still up in heaven? How do we actually find this ceasing from the frenetic pace when Israel is under foreign occupation? How do we get the rest? Verse 6 and 7. Chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. David from Psalm 95, again, offering an opportunity to enter the rest. The wilderness generation failed to enter because of their disobedience. So he's saying, look in the text, Psalm 95, today you can get the rest if, 
if you hear God's voice and don't harden your hearts. That's what he's saying. You, you can get the rest, but don't harden your heart. Hear God's voice. And you can receive the Sabbath rest. Do you see in verse 9? So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Did you know that in all of this talk about rest, we haven't seen the word Sabbath yet? That's the first time that Sabbath comes up in all of this talk about rest. Which leaves everybody in the Mill Creek congregation going, oh, dang, I didn't see that. But now that explains everything. No, no. No, you didn't have that response? Like everything just flipped upside down for you and you went, bing, now I get it. Okay, I didn't either. Uh, I read this text I don't know how many times and didn't even realize Sabbath was in there. But you guys pay me to study it and, and the commentaries brought my attention to it. And here's what's so cool. He's been talking rest, 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 rest. But then all of a sudden he goes, Sabbath rest. And we all should go, ooh, say that one, two, three, ooh. Here's why Sabbath rest is so cool. Sabbath rest comes from Exodus 20. And the idea of Sabbath, the very word he's using here, isn't contingent on a geopolitical kingdom. And the idea of Sabbath rest actually brings in with it this idea of festivity and celebration. What I hear the young people are calling a party. It's not just rest. It's, it's celebration rest. Here, let me, let me quote from O'Brien. He's one of my favorite commentaries in this book. He writes, the noun for Sabbath in verse 9 carries with it the idea of celebration or festivity of the Sabbath. And that fits with the Old Testament and the Jewish notions of the Sabbath based on Exodus 20, where it was not simply a day of cessation of activity, but one in which rest and praise belonged together. So understand this idea of Sabbath. It, it stresses Festivity and joy expressed in worship and praise of God. And it's in line with Hebrews' picture of the future festive gathering. That's in chapter 12, and we'll get there in Hebrews. It's, it's a festive gathering in the heavenly Jerusalem. The author's deliberate choice of this word in verse 9 is intended to spell out the fact that life for the people of God in his resting place will be an eternal festive celebration. Oh, thank God that's what heaven's going to be like. Anybody else in here grow up thinking we're on a bunch of clouds with a harp? Broom, broom, we praise you. When did I take a break? That... that Guys, heaven's a party. Heaven is going to be the best celebration. And, and Revelation talks about that, right? Called the wedding supper of the Lamb. Man, there's been, some, there's been some baller weddings here at Mill Creek. There's been some incredible weddings in, in our pop culture. You know, a wedding that, man, I wish I was invited to that wedding because it's going to be awesome. Guys, the best wedding of all time. You have an invitation to this morning. 
that wedding is going to be incredible. And that food is going to be exquisite. And we are going to have the choicest of meats and the most wonderful of drink. And it is only the very beginning of an eternity where we are done with all of the frenetic striving on our own sake. And we just get to rest in the true and better Jesus. And we're going to raise a toast to him. And it is going to be amazing to be together, all believers, all tongues, tribes, and nations, from all time saying, yes! Man, I want to be there. I want to be there. The pastor's point is that the wilderness generation, they knew all that and they failed to enter it. They knew all that and they didn't get there. The Hebrew church then is in danger of making the same mistake and so are we. Here's the warning then, beware. You can show up here Week after week, you can sing the songs, you can take the notes from the sermon, and yet, when it's all said and done, you can just be around God's people, but not truly in God's people. So beware. It's verse 1. Let us fear, which we might translate, let us be terrified by the possibility that we never find true rest. I mean, this is like horror movie stuff to go through all of that slavery, to go through all the wilderness and never make it home. Or back to where we started, to think you did everything to get the graduation diploma and it never comes in the mail. I mean, you do not, you do not want to be at, in the line for the final judgment thinking you're going to the party, hearing them as they get ready for the party, watching the little angels in their little white shirts and tuxes getting the party ready, thinking, man, I'm hungry, I can't wait to go. You do not want to be there only to get to the front of the line and realize you're not going. What's worse than that? Here's the application. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Because if you leave Christ, if you eject for a Christless religion, it may be easier for you culturally here in our current moment, certainly easier for that Hebrew church, just go back to friends and family. It may be easier for you personally with some of the issues that you bring to the table to leave what Christ is calling you to do for a compromised religious system. But Christless religion is empty. You can't leave Jesus. So stick with him. In the words of the text, verse two, church, are you united to Christ by faith? Faith, it's only in him. Verse three, do you believe in Jesus? Verse 10, have you rested from all your works, knowing salvation can never be earned by what you've done, but resting in Jesus' work because his work is superior and his work accomplished all? Are you sticking with Jesus?
And that's the warning that our pastor is calling us to consider. That's the warning. We move now to the promise. This one obviously shorter. Here it is. Strive, Christian. If you're taking notes, you might write that down. Strive, Christian. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Strive to enter that rest. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, strive to enter rest, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I mean, that's like, I want you to whisper as loud as you can. Loudest whisper, ready? I like the first time I found out that speed walking is actually an Olympic event. Okay, I got an idea. Yeah, yeah, we're not very fast. I know what we'll do. Who can go the slowest, the fastest? <laughs> they were like, that poor, that poor kid in fifth grade who got last in the 800-meter race at that track meet and got stuck with a pink ribbon, we'll make an event for him. If you can walk fast, you can get a gold medal at the Olympics. <laughs> That's the paradox. Speed walking. Whisper shouts, here is striving to rest. Striving to rest. What in the world is going on in this apparent contradiction? What we come to realize is that while faith in Jesus Christ is never something we earn, right? if you walk out with nothing else, this is, worth the, this is worth showing up this morning, you cannot earn salvation. We never can earn faith in Jesus Christ and yet, faith in Jesus Christ is not passive. And, and that may be the correction that some of us who go, man, salvation by faith alone, salvation by faith alone. We may need to be reminded, yes, 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 salvation by faith alone, but salvation never is merely ending the process there. We, now that we have faith in Jesus Christ, we actually do not remain passive. For the person who has faith in Jesus Christ, they don't remain a couch potato sitting there going, now I hope you actually do your magical stuff in me and make me more like Christ while I sit here and am on the receiving end of whatever magical thing you want me to do. I, I love how commentator Guthrie puts it here. Rest does not mean a cessation of effort, but rather an obedient, active dependence on God. Christians do strive, but not to earn salvation, but as a result of salvation. Here's how he continues. Those of the ancient faith community with whom the preacher is most concerned, there, that Hebrew church, they seem to have fallen short of a true faith response to the message of the good news. They have not truly believed in Christ. They are active, but their activity suggests they may not have engaged faith to this point. So our author has in mind those who are falling away from the Christian movement and thus are not taking advantage of the work of God in Christ. And in so doing, they manifest that they have not ceased truly from their own works. They've not taken the true path of faith. They've not entered into the Sabbath rest found in Christ's atoning sacrifice. Here then, when we say strive, we don't mean you better obey more, you better earn your salvation. Rather, striving is 
exerting the effort to fight the urge to earn salvation. When we strive, we're not trying to earn something. We're fighting the urge that we can earn our salvation. And striving, then, is diligently endeavoring to find our rest in Christ. Find your saving rest in Christ. That's what we strive for. That's what he wants for them. Here's how you strive for Christ. Find rest in Christ, and you strive for that. Well, how do I do that? pastor how do i strive for christ here's where he ends his argument by allowing god's word to expose your heart because here's the incredible promise being made look at the text verses 12 and 13 this is where he's going to end this point for us the word of god is living and active it is sharper than any two-edged sword god's word pierces to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You strive for Christ by allowing God's word to expose what's actually true inside of you. He's been preaching from Psalm 95 on this point, and he's saying, Psalm 95 will do a surgery on your heart, and it will open you up and leave you exposed so you can see what the truth is. That's how you figure out what's going on in your heart. You strive for Christ by allowing his word to fillet you open. See, this entire warning is you can be around God's people, even a card-carrying member of God's people, but not actually be in the eternal rest promised to God's people. And here then is like the paternity test, those crazy talk shows where they're like, well, are, are, you, really the, uh, are you really the dad or not? Well, how do you know? You got to do the DNA test. Here's the DNA test equivalent. God's word right now, church, can help you know which one are you. And anybody in here who's thinking, man, I don't want to get up there to the final judgment only to find out I'm not in God's people. Here's how you can know. God's word will show you. You don't have to walk out here wondering, am I really part of God's family or not? I don't think our Hebrews author wants anybody actually thinking, well, I was a Christian, but I guess I've fallen away. That's not how it works. Our, our author actually wants to give assurance to those who are actually in God's family, you can rest and strive for Christ. But he does want to wake up anybody who's putting themselves around God's family who's not actually in it to recognize that you're not in it yet. Here then is the application. Strive for Christ by asking God to reveal your true heart. God's word will reveal what's going on. If you bring yourself sincerely to God and allow his word to do his work, he will show you what's actually going on. So ask God to reveal your true heart. And church, this is crucial because we are so good at tricking ourselves. 
We're so good at tricking ourselves. And it's like, well, I showed up at church, man. I brushed my teeth. I mean, look at me. Here I am. So sh- surely I'm, I'm, I'm on the right side of this equation, right? And it's like, well, God's word will show you. We trick ourselves. Just like Peter, the day that Jesus is going to be arrested, Jesus is like, hey, I'm about to get arrested. You should know that. And Peter's like, not on my watch, bro. No way. And Jesus, is, I imagine, is like, okay, Peter. He's like, no, you don't get it, man. I mean it. I really mean it. And then, of course, it's not so long later, just a few hours, and there's some little servant girl, some teenage girl at a fire who's saying, hey, you're part of Jesus. He goes, no, I'm not. I don't even know Jesus, and totally denies him. And one of the gospel accounts says Jesus makes eye contact with Peter at that moment, and all of a sudden, Peter realizes, you knew something about me that I didn't know. At least that's the way I understand that story. There's this modern philosopher that I got introduced to that talked about three kinds of belief that I think has explanatory power. He says that every person has public beliefs, private beliefs, and then core beliefs. And and, and I know Hebrews 4 isn't giving us this framework, but I find it helpful to understand what's going on with Peter, what our preacher's talking about, and maybe even helpful to us, that that every person, there are things every person will say when others are listening, and they they say they believe these things, but then you actually look at their lives and you're like, that is not consistent. I mean, we can all think of politicians who say one thing and then do another. There's, There's public beliefs. Then there's private beliefs, things that you actually think you believe. I mean, this is the stuff you write in your journal. But then when push comes to shove, there's actually what you believe. And I find this this explanation helpful because because what you really believe is your core beliefs. And you find that out when the rubber hits the road. No matter what you think you believe, that's what you believe. And this this explains why Peter, I I actually believe Peter meant it when he said, not on my watch, Jesus. My guess is he, he thought that, and so he's... Saying it, my, my guess is if he had a journal, that's what he, you know, I'm, I really will do this. But then when his life is on the line, we get to see what he actually believes. Now, good news, his core beliefs change because at the end of his life, the end of his life, he's willing to put his life on the line, isn't he? You know, church history tells us Peter was crucified. So his, his core, core beliefs can change. But, but, but I see this in, in my life too, right? Like, I say, I say things like, I want to be a good Christian man, and I want to be a good Christian husband, and man, I want to be the best Christian father, and I want to be a biblical pastor, and, and I say those things to people, okay? And, and, and if you had my journal, you'd see, I write that stuff in my journal too. Like, I buy it. And then Brooke says something at home, or my kids do something. Or something happens at church, and I'm not quite so biblical anymore, am I? <laughs> and I've had to say sorry to so many of you and, and, and my own family. It just reveals that there can be different levels of belief. And what, what I'm trying to offer you is it's possible to think you believe something only to realize at a core you're not as consistent as you wish. So our pastor is offering us this wonderful promise you don't have to be caught off guard some you don't have to be caught off guard someday with you actually didn't believe what you think you believe you can know right now what your core beliefs are you can know that by asking god's word to reveal your heart psalm 139 search me o god and know my heart test me and know my every thought 
See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. God will do this for you, church. It's a promise. His word will cut and reveal what you genuinely believe, whether or not you're sincerely striving with Christ. Here then the passage in three words, beware and strive. A warning and a promise. Hearing is not enough. Hearing must be combined with faith. And if you have faith in Christ, you can avoid the mistake of the wilderness generation. You can enter Christ's superior rest. Here then is how I want to finish. Let me talk to Christians for a moment before we also talk to those of you who don't profess faith. First, for Christians in here, if you're, if you're tracking with this sermon, if you're tracking with this passage, you ought to feel uncomfortable. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, but, th- but this is what this text does. There are assurance passages in the book of Hebrews, but this is not one of them. And so we're trying to let God's word say, section by section, what it really is saying. And there's very little assurance here. Rather, this is a warning to the Hebrew church that they are at a crossroads. You have come to a crossroads, and you're going to have to decide which way are you going, Hebrews. And it's concerning because, because they will either, they will stick with Christ or they are going to leave for a Christless religion. For us then, Christian, this passage ought to leave you feeling examined and exposed. Not merely worried about if you're going to get a diploma someday, but deeply concerned because eternal life and death are at stake, Christian. What I'm saying is, this passage is heavy. So if you're here and you're like, dude, that that is a heavy passage, you're right. A gift for you, Christian, for any who are feeling spiritually out of place. As, As Guthrie puts it in his commentator, if you're feeling stranded in the desert between the slavery of Egypt and the promise of Canaan, here Jesus is being offered to you church. As Jesus looks out on a desert wandering humanity, his solution is come to me. Come to this church. As Jesus offers the ultimate source for true rest, for true rest is found only in right relationship with the person of God. The rest is his rest for his people found by obeying his word. And in the wake of a Culture leaving the fragmented, fragile, and fatigued in its wake. The church has the phenomenal opportunity of pointing people to the ultimate land of promise and spiritual well-being. I know that our culture tells you that rest can be found in entertainment, or it can be found in a good vacation, or you can find Sabbath rest in your false idols of performance, or control, or approval, comfort. Your core belief perhaps may sound different than what the text says, but Jesus offers the true source of rest. So strive and stick with him, Christians. For those here who are not yet Christians, you're just checking this thing out. 
a final word for you. Our scripture does not have in mind you particularly, folks who come in and going, man, I don't, I don't identify with Christ, but I'm just kind of seeing what you're all about. But for you, based on this passage, I would want you to consider how will you face judgment one day? Because God's word is clear, you will, like all of us, face judgment. Here's a quote for you. When those who are playing church, who are stranded between Egypt and Canaan, truly enter into God's presence and are confronted with his holiness, they will have their flippant and shallow churchianity stripped away. And like Isaiah, will find themselves naked before God's striking presence, crying out that they are indeed ruined and dirty. If you're here and not a Christian, take seriously who God is and know that there is nothing you can do to enter God's promised rest on your own. Your attendance this morning at Sunday, I'm grateful you're here, but it will not save you. Nothing you can do can save you. You cannot achieve God's rest through your works. Instead, enter God's rest through Christ's work. He is the superior revelation of God. He is superior to the angels and Moses and Joshua and rest. Jesus is not the latest word from God. He's the last word from God. If you're here and not a Christian, trust in him. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. And I ask that your word would do what it promises to do. Would you cut in ways that you as the great surgeon would see brings health and life. For those here who are sincere Christians, may they have assurance in you as they allow your word to do work. I pray they would be comforted and encouraged. For those here who have proximity to the gospel but have not trusted in the gospel, I pray that your word would reveal that and they would be united by faith to Christ. Spirit, only you can do that work. Please do it. Give soft hearts, strong minds, safe. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.